Church. Thank you so much for being here for being here this morning. If you are a guest here for the first time, thank you for being here. We have been encouraging our church to invite family and friends and classmates and co-workers. And so thank you for being here today. If this is your first time at Solace Church as we begin this new series. And if you're watching online at solacechurch.com and you're still on vacation, thank you for choosing to take a little bit of time out of your vacation. Uh, as we begin this new series this morning. Uh, Church, here we are. We're at the beginning of this series called Decades. And this series is going to focus on... um, (laughs) It's going to focus on uh, teenagers, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings, 50-plus. And they are... We're going to walk through each of those decades and learn and... and, 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 uh, What is that noise? Cole? Oh, something up. What are you doing? What are you doing on stage, man? Oh, I'm playing Pokemon on there. You're Sorry. playing. You're playing Pokemon on our stage. Yeah, I'm playing Pokemon. We're, we're right in the middle of a ser- service. <laughs> no, don't worry about it. What, Just... you're, you're, what are you doing on stage? I'm playing Pokemon. I'm searching for Pokemon up here. What is Pokemon? What's Pokemon? All right, so. Pokemon is like this game where you have these little animals and you have to like fight and like train people and you fight other people and they get big and strong and like you have a gym right now, it's controlled by like the blue team, which is outrageous because I'm red team, okay. I have to control it. This so, is a gym? It's a gym, yeah. Okay, what is What's a gym? You go battle people and you have to become like the strongest guy to beat it. And I'm hatching eggs right now, so I gotta keep moving around and stuff. And <laughs> okay. I, I, to hatch my eggs, I need like I've been working on this egg for like four days okay. and I need Stardust to catch Pokemon and okay. It's a whole Listen, big deal right now. Hey, hey, buddy, I appreciate yeah. what you're doing on our stage. Mm-hmm. we got about an hour mm-hmm. of time here that we, we do service. And if you don't you mm-hmm. don't mind, could you catch the, hatch the egg or catch yeah, 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 dude, yeah, whatever? Just, somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> hold, on. I, I, hold on, it's somewhere around you, here. It's, yeah. it's somewhere around here, okay? It's the, some, the, the what's somewhere around here? The, the Pikachu's around here. The like, Pikachu's the, around here the, somewhere. The Pikachu's somewhere okay, so in this I, area, I think. Okay, so for the sake of time, my friend, mm-hmm. if you'll take Pikachu and yeah, Pokemon no, shh, 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 and go. Shh. Do you hear that? <laughs> Somewhere around here. I, can, I, can, I think I can hear it. It's, I, it's, it's so close. It's so close. This is creepy. This is Pikachu! What? <laughs> oh, Matt, I'm sorry. I gotta go right now. Oh, So the series, Decades, is going to be focusing on teenagers today. (laughs) Wow. So let's talk about the teenager. He's an interesting, she's an interesting creature. The teenagers uh, are are in an interesting period of time. Thanks, Cole and Hunter and Creepy Pikachu. What does it look like to live out the gospel as a teen? What does it look like to to love Jesus as a teenager in the 21st century? We're going to talk about that today primarily. Now, if you're a parent here today, this is going to be for you as well. Teenagers, I hope you're tuning in. I hope you're listening this morning. If you're a parent of a teenager or if you have kids in your home... And they will, and they're not teens yet, but of course they will at some point be teens. Please, please tune in today. And the rest of you who are just, you know, just either you've been there and done that, or your kids are out of the house, you can just amen a bunch or clap a bunch for this whole message. Is that cool? Because I promise you, you're going to go, yep, that's right. 
So let's talk today. Before I share with, with, with the teens that are here and parents that are here about what it looks like to live out the gospel as a teenager, I want to help some parents out in the room today because there's some really interesting study that's been done about the teenage brain. There is some new research that I want to share with you that I think will be very helpful in filling in some of the gaps that exist in, in you trying to figure out what in the world is going on in, my, in the life of my teenager. It is really enlightening. Um, there, there, there's been some previous research that suggests that the brain uh, develops almost fully by the time they're five or six, all the connections and everything, but that research actually is not accurate. There's been some, some more recent uh, studies done on the teenage brain that is fascinating. So before we get started, I want to show you about a three-minute video about the teenage brain. Watch this. It turns out that brains actually take longer than we thought to fully mature. I don't mean physical size. Our brains are already about 95% full size by the time we're just six, but more in the sense of the connections inside the brain. Adults, for the most part, know how to make decisions by evaluating choices and weighing consequences. They do this with their prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for controlling impulses and emotions and forming judgments. Its neurons chat with the neurons in other regions of the brain responsible for, say, memory or movement through synapses. Thing is, teenage brains don't quite work like this yet. The prefrontal cortex may not be fully developed until your mid-twenties, and teen synapses, those lines of communication, are still growing and specializing. They're also slow. As an adolescent brain keeps developing its axons, the long tail-like parts of the neurons that transmit signals to other neurons become more and more insulated by a fatty layer called the myelin sheath. This padding greatly increases the cell's transmission speed, and while it helps adults make faster decisions, it isn't fully formed in teens. These changes occur slowly, beginning at the back of the brain, where the oldest and most fundamental brain parts reside, and slowly working its way forward to the more advanced and complicated brain bits. The prefrontal cortex is the last to be hooked up and shaped. So it's important to keep in mind that just because your favorite teenagers stayed up until sunrise binge-watching The Walking Dead the night before an exam, it doesn't mean they're dumb or lazy. Their brains are just literally finishing being built. But at the same time, because all this brain building is just starting to peak, this is also when the brain starts getting thinned out. You actually start losing connections that you don't use enough in a process called synaptic pruning, which has led to a theory that this is kind of of a use-it-or-lose-it phase. Meaning, adolescence could be an especially important time to use your brain, play an instrument, engage in sports, write poetry, learn a language. Because by doing these things, you're helping hardwire those synapses and giving your brain topiary a lovely, lasting shape. Whereas, if you're sitting around all day playing Candy Crush, those will be the connections that survive which you don't need. This shaping of the teen brain manifests itself in other ways, too, like in teenage attitudes. A group of scientists at the McLean Hospital in Massachusetts once hooked up a group of adults and a group of teens to MRI devices and then asked them to identify a series of expressions on photographs of adult faces. Interestingly, while adults correctly identified one expression as fear, the teenagers thought the faces showed anger, surprise, or shock. They weren't registering subtlety as well. Not only that, but the MRI images showed that adults and teens responded with different parts of their brains. Adults used the reasonable prefrontal cortex, while the teens mostly used the gut reaction emotional amygdala located farther back in the brain. Results like these might help explain why teenagers seem to experience frequent mood swings. For one, they tend to react quickly from the emotional part of their brain without running those reactions by the more rational frontal cortex. And two, it could be that they're just misreading expressions and therefore the intentions behind 
behind them. The frontal cortex also helps people relate to and understand each other, and you can imagine what happens when concern is misjudged as anger or worry as disappointment. So we see a picture of the teenage brain, don't we? We see an interesting development that teens use the back of their brain more than the front of their brain. Teens use the emotional response, and then on the inside of that, towards the center, the reward-based system to make decisions, whereas adults generally try to incorporate at least the prefrontal cortex, the ration, the reason, the logic side of the brain as well. So if you're a parent of a teenager and they experience mood swings, or, for instance, they jump off a cliff without measuring the depth of the water, now you know why. Because the primary driver is this, this experiential piece, the emotional piece. And that, listen, teenagers, when you hear that, I hope you understand today that that's not a good or a bad issue. It's an is issue. It's just where you are in the journey. And God made you this way. And every single person who has gone through their teen years in the room went through the same things in terms of brain development. And so this is who you are right now. This is the way your brain works. And that lasts into the 20s, which we'll talk about next week. And, uh, and, and so just know this is the current status. Now, teens, you live in an interesting world. You live in a unique period of time, and I'm going to explain to you why that is. This morning, over the next couple of minutes, I, I want to help you unpack a couple of very critical questions as you think about living out the gospel in the 21st century as a teenager. There are three questions specifically, and I want to give them to you uh, on our screen in just a minute. And I just want you to write them down, and I want you to, will you do me a favor? Will you exercise the prefrontal cortex for me? Will you engage here in logic and reason for, uh, with me so that we can think critically about these issues? For instance, question number one, if you're writing things down, think about this. What kind of world, as a teenager, am I stepping into? If you're 13, you have five years before you leave home. If you're 18, you're gone this year. Maybe your parents are moving you this week or next week. Uh, and some of you parents are laughing. You're like, I wish. <laughs> At some point, you leave the home. At some point, you make this incredible step out into the world. What does that world look like? What world are you stepping into? I'm going to give you just some names, some phrases that will resonate. This is what's going on in your world today. For instance... We have ISIS. In our world today, we have a terrorist organization who's trying to establish a, a nation state in the Middle East, and they are very violent, violent people. We have Ebola. We have Brexit. If you don't know what that is, Britain has left the European Union. They're gone. What does that mean in terms of global impact? We have Ferguson that took place on TV, these incredible riots in Missouri over the death of, of someone shot by a police officer. We have the Apple Watch. That's pretty cool. That's the smartest watch ever. Fitbit keeps track of your fitness. We have 4K TVs. I grew up in the, my teenage years were the early 90s. Standard deaf, baby. If that, good. Frozen, Taylor Swift. Wow. I watched her for her first, first performance at a, a country music award, and I thought she was okay. I had no idea she would become what she is today. She is already a legend in her own right. Justin Bieber, <laughs> all about that bass. Benghazi, the events that took place with the ambassador's death, incredibly powerful events. Walking Dead, I've never 
seen it. It's okay. Hipster, we, you, teenagers, you're growing up in a time where people are trying to put on clothes that are too small for them. Who, who would have thought? When I was growing up, the clothes were twice as big as they needed to be on me. My teenage picture is embarrassing because I have a shirt that's way too big for me. This is the world you're growing up in. 21 Pilots, sigh. Whoopi Gangnam Style. Is that how you say it? I don't know if that's right or not, but that's the best I can come up with, right? I mean, this, and then, of course, you saw Pokemon Go. This is your world. This is the world you live in and that you're growing up in that you're going to be launching from the home in. Something else is going on in your world that you may not be aware of. There are very significant worldviews that exist in our world today that compete against the Christian worldview. There are three major worldviews today, and I've lumped them broadly together so that you can see them and so that we can process this easily. But we have atheism, the idea that there is no God. All there is is the natural world. No God, therefore no accountability attached to that. Therefore, we make up our own purposes. Atheism, the New Age uh, worldview is mysticism. It is the idea behind Buddhism and Hinduism and all these kind of these spiritualisms that exist. They're, they're, they're disconnected from a, from a one true God perspective, but they're, they're, there's this mysticism that exists. And then there's postmodernism. Let me spend a little bit of time on postmodernism to help you understand how very challenging the world is that you live in and are getting ready to launch into. There have been three major philosophical worldview shifts since human history began, basically, broadly speaking. From the beginning of human history till about 1650, some would say 1800, but but somewhere in that range, thousands and thousands of years, it was called the uh, pre-modern, or pre-modernism, or pre-modern worldview. And pre-modernism suggested that, that God, through a process of revelation, revealed to mankind what is true or, uh, or, or, or what was true or is true. And so you see this play out in Scripture oftentimes. For instance, in the Old Testament, when Elijah goes to Mount Carmel and, and, and basically competes, if you will, against the, 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 the gods of Baal, what's taking place there is a picture of pre-modernism. It's this idea of the competition between the one true God revealed to us Um, uh, in in the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, versus all of these false gods, these false Baals. That's why Elijah's story is so compelling. It, it, It presents for us what took place for thousands and thousands of years. Now think about this. Somewhere between the 1600s and 1800s, this period of enlightenment came along, and we embraced a new, or the world embraced a new philosophy, which is called modernism. So pre-modernism to modernism, the idea that science can teach us all that we need to know. It's this, this evidence, this knowledge that we can gain just simply by studying and testing and observing. So in that period of time, God was really replaced. The church was replaced for a source of knowledge. And the classroom, the, 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 the academic world, the, the, the research centers became this, 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 this avenue by which knowledge can be received. But think about this. It took thousands of years for that shift to take place. It was only 300 years after the 1650s or so into 1950 when the next significant shift took place. Okay, follow me. Don't don't, don't get lost. 
thousands of years, 300 years from modernism to postmodernism. Postmodernism rejects all forms of traditional authorities. The church, governments, any kind of authorities that's been set up, it rejects that and it simply says you can discover truth on your own. It, it, it's not as though those things can't be avenues that you can experience truth, but rather postmodernism says that you don't need those to discover truth. You can feel it. Society can come up with it collectively. This is the idea of postmodernism. <laughs> now, you ready? <laughs> Do you know that m- many, many people, or some people, are now suggesting that we are entering into the post-postmodern world. Thousands of years for one shift, 300 years for the second shift, 70 years for this third shift, and who knows where we're going from here. That's the world in which you live. Things are a-changing. What do you do with that? It really begs the second question that I think every teenager needs to wrestle with at some point. At some point, it needs to go from just experiencing the world to beginning to ask a critical question in the front of my brain. And this is the question if you're writing things down. Because this is the world I live in, what do I believe to be true about the world? What is actually true? Is atheism true that there is no God? Is postmodernism or mysticism true that we can either just kind of feel our way and through self-discovery or we can kind of come up with our own version of truth? Or is there declared truth given to us? And I'm going I'm to do something that we don't often do here at Solace Church. I like to teach and, 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 and speak from the, from the TV because it, it really lends to, to uh, interaction. But I want to I pull out this, this Bible. Great book, isn't it? It's an incredible book. This Bible, this leather-bound, soft leather, easy to turn. I got this for, I think, for uh, my birthday years ago for Christmas for my brother. It's a great Bible. I love the sound. Can you hear it? I know this is weird, all right? But here's the deal. I graduated 20 years ago. And when I was a teenager, they didn't have the Bible app. I kid you not, you could not pull up on your phone the Bible. It wasn't there. So each night when I went to bed, I would open up a leather-bound. Actually, it wasn't. It was paper-bound. It was an NIV study Bible, and I read it through as often as I could. I studied it. It was an incredible book. But I want you to think about this, teenager. I want you to think about this, parents. It's very important. What do I believe to be true about the world? You're stepping into this, and in these teenage years... You move into this period of time where you're truly beginning to form a worldview. You're beginning to embrace what you believe to be true about the world. Where does this fit in? I want to tell you something about this book that I think is so critical for every teenager, every parent to hear, all of us collectively for that matter, but every teenager, please hear me. This book makes some outrageous and radical claims. It is exclusive in that it claims that there is one God revealed to us in three persons, and that one God gave us a means by which we could know him, and that person was Jesus Christ. That's what this book says. We are lost, and we need a Savior. And Jesus is the Savior. And God has given us in this book a roadmap to live. 
so that when we come underneath its authority, it creates the parameters by which we can live freely. That's what the Bible declares to us. So you know what? The Bible is not a marginal book in that you can put it in the margins of your life and it be effective. The Bible is marginalizing in and of itself. It creates the margins of our lives so that we can live. If you're writing things down, teenagers, write this down. The Bible is to the Christian what the Constitution is to the United States. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. We live in the greatest nation on the face of the earth. You are a privileged few that live in an incredible land. Hear me. We have a founding document. It took us a couple of tries to get there, okay? But we have this, this, this founding document called the Constitution. And in the Constitution, it gives us clarity. It provides the margins by which our nation can exist. In the Constitution, it, it specifically defines the role of government that should function and must function in this society. By defining what the government should be, it therefore excludes all other forms of government. For instance, monarchy does not work with the Constitution. We can't have a king, even though some try. We cannot have communism. We cannot have a dictator. And there are many, many other forms of government. The Constitution sets the parameters by which this nation functions. You cannot marginalize the Constitution without compromising the United States of America. And in the same way, the Christian, the one who is trying to figure out what this world is all about and what I believe, cannot marginally accept the Bible. It will not be marginalized. It must be embraced fully. What do you believe about the world? The Bible is that founding document, that foundational book by which we can understand who God is. Teenagers, hear me. You're living in a world today. You're living in a world today. Parents, hear me. In this world today, Christianity specifically is under a very real attack. Now, I'm not trying to put us in a victim status. We should not be the victims. It's not at all the case. I'm just saying to you that we're growing up in a world today Teenagers, you're growing up in a world today where when you step out of high school into the real world, into college or career, that there is a hostile environment towards the idea of there is one God revealed to us in three persons and a Savior who is Jesus. That is not widely accepted in our society. And you're going to be put to the test when you step outside the comfort zones of your parents. Your worldview is going to be put to the test. These are the critical years when you must decide what you believe to be true. The third question that I see that every teenager needs to wrestle with, and I want to unpack this in some depth this morning as we continue, is this question, why am I here? This is the world you're stepping out into. And, and, and truth must be declared. It has to be Understood, It has to be declared in a person's life. What do I believe about the world? The incredible thing is, is that when someone comes underneath the authority of this word, something amazing becomes clear. That we are not here randomly existing in this world. Atheism says there is no God and you create your own purpose. Mysticism says there, there, there is self-discovery that leads to purpose. But a Christian worldview says God uniquely created you and gifted you, and he has given you purpose, and he has specifically given you talents, talents and gifts and ability to be used for his glory, for the benefit of those in this world. Isn't that a great picture? That's the reason you exist. 
But more specifically, in the teenage years, people began to struggle with the question, why am I here? I have three kids, Grady, Graham, and Georgia. I love them deeply. I have yet to hear them really begin to ponder their own existence and why they are here. But you know one of the questions that many teenagers are asked? Hey, what are you going to be after you leave high school? Where are you going to go? What career field are you going to go into? What college are you going to choose? What degree are you going to pursue? Do you know why those questions are asked of you teenagers? Because these are the years when you begin to discover, I'm here for a reason. What is it? When I was 17 years of age, I came front and center, or this idea came front and center into my life. It was a powerful moment, a powerful moment. I'm going to do something I've been waiting 12 years to do at Solace Church. I'm going to brag on myself and name drop. And I'm unashamedly going to do that in front of you today because this is a moment I've truly been waiting for. When I was 17 years of age, I was right in the middle of my, my junior, senior year. I was in this process of, 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 of doing sports and doing school. I was August student of the month. I was student of the year. I was homecoming king. I kissed Mandy Burgess, who was the queen. Mandy comes to our church now. Her name is Mandy Lonsdale. Sorry, Johnny. I played baseball. I played football. I was all-state football player. That's right, 5'8", 135, all-state football player. That's right. That's what we do at Berry Hill. And I played baseball. My junior year of baseball, I hit, I went about hundreds and hundreds of times. I played several different positions. I started when I was a freshman uh, for the varsity team at, at Berry Hill. I played all four years. As a junior, I hit over 400, and I did not strike out a single time that year. That's good. My senior year of high school, I struck out one time. My first time up to bat, my senior year. It was so depressing. It was the only time I struck out in two years. One time in two years, hit over 400, made several all-star teams. I had the opportunity to play on a team with Brad Penny. Maybe you know who that is. He was a pitcher in the World Series several years ago. Uh, he was an incredible athlete as well. I actually played on an 11-year-old team with Brad Penny as well. We won the World Series. <laughs> when I was a senior in high school, I had the opportunity to go play college baseball, full ride to a college in Kansas, a junior college. But at the same time, this crazy little thing called the Holy Spirit, who is God, who is sovereign, who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and who deeply loves me, began to speak to my heart about leaving those things behind and embracing the idea of full-time ministry. So when I was 17 years of age, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about that. And when he first spoke and I knew it, I first said, like a good Christian, no. Now, here's what you need to know, teenagers, about these years of living out the gospel. If you're writing things down, write this down. Teenage years often set the trajectory of life for several decades or even longer. 
I know you think these are the years of just simply emotional experience and what is rewarding for this moment, but this part of the brain needs to engage for a moment. The prefrontal cortex needs to engage. You must understand that it's these years that are formative that tend to set the trajectory of life for a long period of time. Hear me. Addictions generally form in the teenage years. Ask someone addicted to cigarettes when they started smoking. It was generally in their teenage years. Ask someone who is addicted to alcohol when they first started drinking. It was in their teenage years. Ask the one who's addicted to some kind of sexual sin. When did they first engage? It's the teenage years. These are the years that set trajectory for your life. Embrace that reality. It matters what you do right now. When I was 17 years of age, I had all these dreams, and yet the Spirit was drawing me into a relationship uh, with God whereby I would live out my call in ministry. When I was 17 years of age, after six months of saying no, I finally surrendered and said, if that's what you want from me, Jesus, I will do it. And I, and I surrendered to the call to preach the gospel. I preached my very first message at New Home Free Will Baptist Church. Roy Dell Smith, just down the road, gave me my first chance to preach. I am so thankful he took a risk on me. I've shared this story before, but it's worth sharing again this morning. I preached a message that morning. I was preaching, or that evening, actually. I was speaking that evening about the idea that Jesus is going to come back. And as a 17-year-old who was full of emotion and who was so excited about Jesus and had had a cause to conquer, I went and preached my first message. And when I was 17, I was fiery, man. I had a pulpit in front of me and I would slam my hand out on the pulpit and I would run back and forth on the stage. You could not keep up with me. I sprinted across the stage to show how passionate I was about Jesus Christ. I was engaged and involved. And that message, I wanted to show the world what it looked like to be ready for the return of Christ. And so I prepared my notes and I got that message ready. I brought a, a clock, an alarm clock on stage, and I set it to go off 10 minutes into the message. I was going to surprise the entire church with the moment the alarm clock went off, just as they were not ready for Jesus to come back, so they would not ready be for, for the alarm clock to go off. I preached seven minutes passionately and boldly, and I was done. That's all I had to say. The alarm clock never went off. It was a total fail. But in that moment, I stepped into, why am I here? I stepped into the moment where God, through his spirit, said, this is why I created you. For I formed you in your mother's womb. And I knit you together for a purpose. And when I stepped into that, and I came underneath the authority of his word, and I, by faith, believed that God had revealed himself to us through his word, it set the course for me even 20 years after my teen years. Why are you here? And what does God long to do in you and through you? Teenagers, I want to read to you just in conclusion a passage of Scripture. You see, this Bible has been so meaningful to me. It has guided me. It has directed me. It has spoken to me so many times. I have done so much stupid in my life. It's called sin. 
And if you were to ask some people in this room who have, who have gone through their teenage years, some of them would tell you this. I don't even know how I survived my teenage years. But if I had the opportunity to just sit down one-on-one with you just for a moment and open up the Bible and just read a passage of Scripture, I think I might choose Psalm 37. I don't know the last time you looked at Psalm 37, but it is an interesting psalm. David, writing later in his life, writes these words of wisdom. I don't know for sure, but for this morning, I'm just going to bet that he was writing to a teenager. He speaks as a father, trying to help a young person on their way, trying to help someone navigate these years of emotion and the formation of a worldview. And this is what he says in verse 1. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. I think I would stop for a moment and I would look at a teenager and I would say, listen, I know that many of your friends are going and doing a whole lot of stuff that that you look at and they seem like they're having a great time. Maybe they're engaging in activities that you, you, you wonder if I should be doing that or if I'm missing out. You look at those activities and it seems like they're doing so much good and so much fun. The truth of the matter is, is I would just encourage you not to get all caught up in that. Don't fret because of that and, 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 and don't worry about that and don't be consumed with what everyone else is doing and don't be envious of them as if you're missing out on something. Listen, I, I, I'm not, I wasn't perfect at all, but I didn't, I didn't go to prom and I didn't go to the parties and hear me, I don't miss it one bit. And this is not a declarative statement. If you feel like you can go, want to go to prom, I'm going to let you and Jesus work that out. I just want you to know that you don't have to spend your time worrying and fretting about that stuff. Verse 2, for like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. But trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. And delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. God has placed something in you, a passion in you, a stirring in you. You want to see the world different. You want to see the world change. You want to see something different in your own world. When you trust in God, when you submit yourself first to God, God created those passions within you and he can bring to pass in you what you are stirred to. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday. I think I would stop for a moment and look at you teenagers, and I would say to you, listen, I wasn't perfect, and I did stupid, and I'd list for you the stupid that I did. I I was not perfect, but hear me. I loved Jesus when I was a teenager, and I loved his word, and I committed myself to doing my best to honor God. And hear me, today, 20 years after my teenage years, there are several individuals that call me, and here's what they say. Matt, I want your advice because I watched you in high school, and what you said was backed up by what you did, and I respect you for that. Because God makes righteousness shine, not for our glory, but for His. Your decisions matter. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him, and don't fret when men succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes and refrain from anger and turn from wrath. And don't worry, it only leads to evil. 
Are you ready to, 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 to get out of the house? Some of you are like, I can't wait. I can't stand my parents. I can't wait to get on my own. I can't wait. I can't wait to get that driver's license and to go drive that car. I can't wait. I would say, hold on, man. It'll get here soon enough. It'll get here. Be patient on the timing of God and don't get overwhelmed by circumstances. Because those who hope in the Lord, they'll inherit the land. That is, they'll receive all that God has for them. In verse 16, this is what it says. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of the wicked. And I think I would stop again and look at you, teenager, and I would say to you, hear me. Please don't believe the lie that this life is about making as much money as you can. Wealth never brings happiness. It's better to have a little bit of money and character than it is to compromise character to get wealth. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The days of the blameless are known to the Lord, and their inheritance will endure forever. In times of disaster, they will not wither. In days of famine, they will, have, or they will enjoy plenty. That is to say, if you delight in the Lord and honor him first, you don't have to worry about the days of calamity or the days of famine. God will faithfully provide everything you need. And I think I'm going to conclude with just a couple of other verses. In verse number 23, If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. Though he stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And I would look at you, teenager, and I would say to you, Hear me, I did stupid, and you're going to do stupid. And I'm not giving you permission to do stupid, but you do it, and so do I. And that's the nature of being sinful. But hear me, you delight in God first, and you honor him first. And let me tell you something about the nature of God. When you walk hand in hand with him, even when you stumble, you will not fall. He will bring you back up. He will pick you back up. Have you looked in the mirror lately, teenager, and said, What are you thinking? What are you doing? Why did you do that again? God is faithful to restore you and to pick you back up and allow you to walk on again. I love this statement. I was young, verse 25, and now I'm old. <laughs> I love that statement. I'm not old, I'm 38, but I'm getting old. Teenager, I shaved all of my hair off because I'm tired of trying to manage the seven that are on top. <laughs> tired of it. And I'm not old, but I can appreciate what David, who was old when he wrote this and sung this, said. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging bread. For God is faithful to provide everything you need according to his glorious riches. In verse 34, just a couple of more verses. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. Wait for the Lord's plans. He will not forget you. And then finally in verse 39 and 40, I would say this to you. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. God has provided a way for salvation through Jesus Christ. It is your means to know the Father. You are sinful and so am I, but Jesus has redeemed us when we submit to him and he becomes our Savior. He is their stronghold in time of trouble, David writes. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. It matters what you do today. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.
Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible, as you listen to this message today, that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at solacechurch.com and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.